0: Hey, everybody, Stefan you from Free Domain. I uh, hope you're doing well and I miss you guys. I keep diving into all of this, having guests on and uh, call in shows, which I'm still doing. I spend my time on the uh, Discord server and so on. But, you know, one thing I'm not doing as much of as I liked is just checking in with you guys and seeing. How you're doing? So I wanted to do that tonight and get your thoughts. I've had a lot of thoughts myself over the last couple of days about the state of society, the state of the world, and all of that. And I wanted to share some thoughts with you. You know, get your thoughts um, and get your feedback on it. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I guess like most people, I I think I think I'm like most people, but you know, when someone says to you something critical, my, my first response, I guess like most people's first response, is to say, nonsense, <laughs> nonsense. And then, you know, when the smoke clears, there's a little bit of, hmm, maybe, just maybe, they have a little bit of a point. And so somebody said the other day, you know, hey, what happened to the philosophy channel, Right. What happened to the philosophy channel? And, uh, you know, he said, I missed my philosophy. Let's get our philosophy on. And part of me was like, and I wrote back to him and I'm like, hey, man, I just released a two hour philosophy lecture, which I gave to a university class in Taiwan. There's lots of philosophy there for you if you want it. And then I thought, actually, you know, come to think of it, what am I doing in this show? Well, I'm doing a lot of COVID. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of interviews and I'm doing some news analysis and so on. But the actual philosophy part, I miss that, and I miss you guys, and I miss talking about it. So I wanted to get into that with you guys tonight and tell you some of the thoughts. But uh, first, let's check in with the audience. Let's just check in with the audience and say hi to everyone. And li- listen, I mean, it's, it could be a lonely time at the moment. It's a lonely time. It's an isolated time. And it's a real it's a real challenge. So um, I'm just going to throw some stuff up here on the screen. Nathan says, good to hear from you, Steph. Well, thank you for dropping by, Nathan. It's a great pleasure. And uh, Maria says, great. And um, England says, oh, boy, thoughts. <laughs> kibble, brain kibble, brain thoughts. Betsy Ross, is, uh, Betsy Ross sorry, is rapping for Boston and I guess making a flag or two. Hey, Steph, do you do Instagram Live? You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I keep meaning to do, keep meaning to get into, such as, um, I mean, YouTube has stories and and shorter stuff and so on, but uh, a variety of things, right? Jess had a rough day. I'm sorry about that. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about it. Somebody says, doing better than Joe Biden. Well, that's not too tough uh, these days. Work is getting busy fixing cars, says Spence. Cheers from Florida, says Oscar. Hi, Uh, welcome back. I... uh, I do like me some Florida, and I was hoping, of course, to give a speech at the 21 convention. Hmm. 22 convention, but that's all hot. Yeah, communism shuts down my speeches, and then communism shuts down everybody's speeches. Uh, Aleph says, hi. Chili Prepper. Chili Prepper, that's pretty funny. Says, hi. Hi. Same shite, different shovel. Yeah, I've had that before. Um, Kajo says, hey, Steph, very good. Thanks. How are you? Well, I will tell you. I will tell you because I've had some real thoughts. Michael says you're the man. Well, I'm hopefully more of a man than uh, Prince Harry. Prince Harry, who married Vortex social justice warrior from hell, um, Meghan Markle. Meghan is her name. Meghan Markle from from Suits. And uh, as I as I tweeted today, I another one of the family is dying in a tight tunnel. Tragic. She made him sell 50,000 pounds worth of rifles because she doesn't like them. Great. Excellent. Greetings and salutations to you too, John. And uh, Logic Barbarian, that's a great name, says, uh, great. Matthew says, hey, Steph, government control of everything sucks. Yeah, boy, conservatives ever getting red-pilled on the police, eh? Jeff says, can I call in? Uh, Yes, the information is on the website. Uh, I would love to chat with you. I just had a chat today with a guy. Oh, man. The military guy, he married the woman of his dreams, the the hot girl that everybody was chasing, but he won and he caught her. And uh what happened? Well, she she pulled the pin on the fat grenade and blew up over a hundred pounds, and uh they have nine children, a bunch of adoptees and some natural born killers, so to speak, and uh It's not a great marriage, man. And this is, I mean, this is what's kind of happening in this time of challenge, which is, you know, people are getting closer or people are getting further away. What do you think is going to happen if Canada opens up again fully? Well, Canada is not going to open up again fully, I think, because fully would be to be the way that it was before. And it's not going back to the way that it was before and I know half of the listenership blames me in particular for that <laughs> you fear monger <laughs> like I have these big giant levers to make the world work right but it's not going back to. I mean uh, air, airlines I mean they're going to be eviscerated even if people want to fly in the future it's going to be really, really tough for them to fly uh, because there won't be that many planes around uh, even trains and so on and buses uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough it's uh, gonna be it's gonna be an adapt and adapting, and you know I, it, you know it's complicated for me. This whole coronavirus situation is very complicated. And uh, anyway, let's just get a couple more highs, and then we'll we'll get into it. Lieutenant Survival says hello from Quebec, Canada. Uh, it's a tough place to survive these days. Um, Lone Dogism says good evening, Steph. Gardening in Canada. Hello from Saskatchewan. Do you know? there are a few provinces i've never been to i worked obviously in ontario lived in ontario went to manitoba oh no i did go to saskatchewan for some mining work back in the day or gold panning work i've not been to alberta and i think that's about it i've been all to the east coast all over the place i took a driving tour with my wife on the east coast shortly after we were married a lovely lovely trip i love the east coast greetings from spokane well nice to- fox pro isn't that an old database program <laughs> look at me with the old software trawling from way back in the day data ease i think oh you know what's so funny I've, I've because i'm home like you guys and and a little bit stuck like you guys i'm doing stuff like you know i guess m&m style cleaning out my closet i actually have cleaned out my closet I have a bunch of old tech. You know the old tech that, you know, I may use this again someday. It's like I'm not sure that I'm going to use the 240p camera anytime soon, no matter how it looks out here on uh, YouTube. But I came across some of the old brochures from my old company. Now, for those of you who don't know, I started, co-founded a software company and uh, grew it and and was involved in the sale of it uh, to a uh, larger company that itself was listed on the Alberta Stock Exchange and so on. And the original name... Of the software, which was helping people manage environmental issues and and conform with regulations and reduce air, groundwater uh, emissions, and so on, the original the original name was EnviroEase. You know, it's easy to manage your environment. EnviroEase. Until um, somebody in a meeting said, "Who's <laughs> in the south?" Sounds like an environmentally friendly laxative. And we we're like, you know, it kind of does. <laughs> So we changed it to Caribou Systems because uh, the CEO had a cottage on, I think it was a place called Jumping Caribou Lake or something, and we kind of liked it. Caribou Systems, and then one of the programmers designed an employee management system called Ungulate Management because caribou's are ungulates, anyway. Little bits of detritus of data from years past, but so um, Sid Vicious says I'm uh, hanging in there. Just not sure if I lose my house next. I hope you are doing well. Please keep doing what you are doing. You give me motivation. I am so sorry. I am so sorry for that. That is, you know, I myself am not particularly good with helplessness. And I would rather act badly than not act at all. So I am really, really sorry about all of this stuff that's happening to people from their savings. Um, You know, the naggy part of me says you're supposed to have 6 months' savings on hand at all times. I mean, this is the way... Just being that annoying guy who grew up dirt poor with eviction notices and, and fears of sleeping on the streets, it is uh, something that was just just kind of drilled into me from early on. I mean, it's so funny. Like when I was a teenager, I distinctly remember this. So I read a bunch of books. I read books on financial management uh, because I was hoping if I ever get my hands on any money, I'm going to hang on to it. There's a song. I'm going to love you like nobody's love you. Come rain or come shine Happy together, unhappy together, wouldn't that be fine? And there's a line that says, we're in or we're out of the money. You know, "Eh, the money comes, the money goes. That to me was kind of terrifying. And it's this like chaotic situation or or sense of life where it's like, I'm flush with cash. I'm going to spend like crazy. Oh, I'm broke. And that always struck me. I knew people like this when I was growing up. Like every time they'd get some money, just go buy a bunch of stuff. And then they'd sit on it. And then they crap their pants when they ran out of money i had a friend oh i shouldn't laugh oh it's story time why not why not let's chat so i had a friend who i mean would just buy the most ridiculous things things that didn't even make sense from a hedonistic standpoint so he bought a big drafting table right and he bought a drafting table because he was going to get into drafting was he an architect no (laughs) was he a cartoonist no did he really have any need for a drafting table no but it was cool, you see. And then he went out and he bought secondhand a marble table. <laughs> a marble table. I mean, first of all, he lived in an apartment with flimsy floors. We weren't even sure if it wasn't going to just go all the way down to the basement, taking people out en route. But it also had a big crack down one side, so everybody was afraid to sit on one side. So basically, he would cram people on the other side. And it's like, what a great purchase that was. And I, uh, I'm... I'm not a tight wad in so far as I don't mind spending money on great memories, you know, go and have, uh, you know, having, I don't know, some, some sort of day trip that's really fun and memorable and so on. That's, you know, buying memories, I think, is a good thing because you don't want this endless plodding pastel days from here to eternity and being some underground minor drudge worker bee that never has anything that changes the shape of your day. So I am, I'm fine with that. I'll spend money like a drunken sailor on the harlot called Free Domain. Uh, like right now, this is, a, I have a better camera, but as you probably have told from, I've seen from my last couple of live interviews, my camera pixelates like crazy. It goes all kinds of Minecrafty. So I'm just trying a, um, a Brio webcam instead. But so I don't mind spending money on the show for better audio video quality and so on. Um, but uh, I'm a big one for like this Why? Like I'm not asking for donations during this crisis. I mean, I'll, struggle through, I'll survive, and uh, I don't want anybody out there feeling obligated. Like, enjoy the show, share the show if you want, um, but this is this is the time to just hang on to it, right? Um, oh, there's that other song. I think it's an old Sam Cooke song. I know Eric Clapton covered it. Um, if I ever get my hands on a dollar again, I'm gonna hold on to, to that old. No, uh, nobody, nobody loves you when you're down and out, or nobody wants you when you're down and out. And once I had a Job, couldn't. Anyway, it a, it's a great song, and it's one of these things like, hey, you're spending money, you're the big man on campus, you're the, everybody's your friend, and then you run out of money, and people just don't return your calls, and so I've always sort of found that to be a terrifying thing, and I hope that this, you know, this situation with this communist virus, I mean, I hope that it wakes up people a lot. I hope it wakes up people to the reality that the government will just grab power whenever they can. All crisis serves to the increase and improvement of state power. I also hope it gives us an answer. So, you know, for those of us who've been advocating for a stateless society, for me, 15 years, 15 years, before that privately, and 15 years, we always get this question, okay, but if there's no government, who's going to build the roads, man? If there's no government, who's going to take care of the property? If there's no government, who's going to take care of stuff? Who's going to God, the borders. who's going to fund the libraries or the prisons or whatever. Without the government, dot, 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 right? <laughs> I'm telling you, this, this, uh, w- this is the new reality, right? The new reality is this. Well, man, without the government, who's going to fund the highly dangerous bioweapons labs, both domestically and overseas? Without the government, who's going to subsidize flying everyone all over the planet so they can spread this disease? Without the government... Who's going to arrest people trying to earn an honest living? Because they happen to be a small business. Because this communist virus miraculously seems to pass by big businesses and just hammer small businesses. It doesn't seem to attack Planned Parenthood or liquor shops or sorry, or or big box stores, but it really does zero in on those churches and those synagogues, and it really does zero in on small businesses. And uh, gotta gotta get rid of that. So. I hope that this is waking people up. I mean, I I hate this pandemic, of course, as everyone does, but you do try and get as much good out of things as humanly possible in these kinds of situations. And one of the good things that we can get, of course, is understanding that this is what government does. They cause problems. They botch any conceivable solution. And then they say, well, they need more power and money to prevent problems like this from ever happening again. And then they go and screw things up again. And it's an old Harry Brown, Brown with an E, a former libertarian candidate. He's now deceased, former libertarian candidate for presidency and uh, an investment advisor and so on. And he wrote some really, really good books. And he said, the government breaks your legs, sells you a crutch and then says, see, hey, without me, you just couldn't walk. So I hope that people are are waking up to the nature and the power of the state as those of us who've been warning everyone for many many uh, years have told it so. Pete says, I've had a rough day today, crashed my car. Oh, Pete, I'm so sorry. Oh, that is, that is terrifying. I, uh, yeah, car crashes are, are, I mean, they really stick with you. And I hope that, I mean, I'm sorry about your car, obviously, but I hope that you're okay, right, that, that you don't have any sort of lasting damage. I had, I said this to Paul the other night, I had a car crash. I haven't thought about this in years. It was a Ford, right, and people make these jokes like Ford, found on road dead. But uh, Ford, well, I mean a Ford, Ford truck saved my life, right. Um, we, uh, a friend of mine and I, uh, we were working up north. We were in the bush and we went into town and we went to a bar. We watched a live band. We were dancing. We met some girls And nothing sexual happened, but we ended up crashing with the girls uh, at their place overnight. And then the next morning, we headed back to the bush. And it was a a really nice evening. It was nice, girls. It was a lot of fun. It was, you know, one of these just fun things that pops in out of nowhere when you're working in the middle of nowhere. And we were driving back along this dirt road. And I was tired. My friend was driving. And I was kind of, you know, like you ever try and get that kind of squidgy sleep face in, in a car, you know, I, I mean, I spent my whole youth, my whole teenage life, like been having a car in my family. So I spent my whole teenage life in, in the backseat, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I always forget to say shotgun or whatever. I so my entire teenage life was in the backseat. And there's a great comedian who says like, you know, when you're in the backseat of a car, especially in you know, the playing some music, it's kind of loud. The wind, wind is rushing past if anyone's cracked a window or whatever. So when you're in a car in the backseat, you can't have any fun. All, all you can do is watch profiles, watch the profiles of people having fun up in the front seat, which is true, right? Like you see all the, like, you know, let's change the music. And, and then eventually you get so bored, you try and make contact with other people in the back seat of cars and so on. Like, and, and it's really, it is, you know, make a little, you make little pictures of, with your breath on the window and so on. So I was trying to get some sleep in this car, and my friend said, uh, there's a Winnebago up ahead. And this is one of these dirt roads where it's kind of, it's a little humped, like it's um, it's uh like like an inverted bowl, and then it kind of goes down into there was swamp on either side, and it went down. This sort of it was built up in the middle, and I said, "Yeah, I'm sure you can pass them, right?" And so then what happened was he hit the gas, and he didn't see in these northern roads. It's like it's not quite two lanes because they you know they're very underused, right? And so you kind of go, if you're going to pass someone, you want to honk and, you know, make sure that they can see you before you pass. Because it's not going to work out that well otherwise, right? And so he didn't find out whether they had seen him or not. So he's like, the the, the Winnipeg goes up here and he starts passing and the Winnebago starts drifting towards the middle. And, you know... We're running out of road, right? The road is not that wide. The Winnebago's getting closer to the center of the road, and he's trying to pass, and, and he starts to drift to the left, right? And then what happens is he starts to go down the ditch. Now, we're at passing speed, so we're going like 110, 120 kilometers an hour, right? And, and you know, man, you hit a, you hit a swamp going that fast. Uh, you are having a very Roger Rabbit eyeball kind of day, and they may never go back in, right? So I'm like, go right, go right, because I would rather have hit the Winnebago than go into the swamp. But by the time like, we had gone down the edge of the road and by the time he wrenched the wheel to go right, we basically went into the air, like we went up the side of the road and we went into the air and we just flipped. 180 in the air. And we landed like hard on the road upside down. And, you know, it's the kind of thing like you ever want to hear a robot being disassembled by some evil deity. That's what it sounds like being in one of these trucks. And there is like gravel spitting its way through the shattered window. And then you're just sitting there thinking, is the truck going to crush us? Now, this is why uh, Ford, at least what they did back then, is like a really, really great car company. Because I walked out of that. My friend had a scratch on his arm, but he was mostly okay. But I literally unbuckled, kicked out. And of course, we smelt gas, right? Because the, the, the puncture, the gas had been punctured. So we were terrified. Of course, the thing was just going to go up and, and incinerate us. And so, you know, I made sure my friend was out and we kicked out the side of the glass and we jump out of the car. And we stand up and we're both looking at each other like, how is it possible that we're both still alive and uninjured after we just flipped a car on a gravel road going 120? And that was like the first thing. And then the second thing was, where the hell is the Winnebago gone? Is it like ghost Winnebago? It was one of these completely surreal things. Well, first of all, after this, you know, we're both screaming at the top of our lungs. You've got the, the, the car being disassembled by the road upside down. And, uh, and then we're kicking and we're getting out. And then it's just suddenly like ear-ringingly quiet. Just boom, just quiet. And you see a couple of birds scattering off in the distance from the sound, and we couldn't like it was like where the, where the hell is this Winnebago? And then we saw that the back of the but they'd gone into the swamp. Now they hadn't been going super fast, of course, and they were in a much more structured vehicle, and, and so they were all okay, fortunately. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a. It's really the only car crash I've I've been in, but it was uh, it was pretty memorable. And I was I was about maybe nineteen or twenty uh, at the time, and yeah, no. Uh, no long-term damage, no, um, you know, everybody was okay, I mean, which is shocking. And uh, boy, I didn't envy him, his call to the head office about that, man. So anyway, I hope you're okay. If it's just the the physical machinery, you know, sympathies for that, but my gosh, I, I hope you're okay, uh, Pete. So, okay, what else we got? A couple more, and then I'll sort of tell you my thoughts. It's nice, nice to sit and chat with you guys, it really is uh christine says great to hear from you inspiring people great Stefan wolf (laughs) ox says "Stefan wolf that's very nice betsy russ says how you doing i'm i'm doing all right i'm doing all right i'm getting i'm getting a little um a little a little stir crazy i mean i like to go out and meet people i was planning a bunch of documentaries this year and uh so it's a little tricky Derek says, thanks for checking in. Really appreciate you, Steph. You're an incredible role model and gift to the world. I am well. I hope the same for you in every facet of your life. Please keep going strong. Thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate that. Um, Joshua gives me the thumbs up. Steve says, what do you say? Going cuckoo at home with nonverbal autistic. Oh, you have somebody at home who's uh, a management challenge as far as that goes. I'm sorry about that, too. Can we discuss the argument? Uh, no, but we can't argue the discussion. Uh, what are your thoughts on natural law as an ethical theory? So natural law versus positive law. And this is a strange coincidence as well. Just I was cleaning out my basement yesterday. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a good chance, you know, stuff accumulates uh, in life. And you just got to right, get yourself some space. And uh, I came across my old philosophy of law textbook. And all my notes in it and all that. So. Um, yeah natural law versus positive law so very briefly natural law says that the law must reflect a higher moral standard whereas positive law is like hey man whatever the law says is kind of legal and there's no outside ethical standard that it really has to follow and uh yeah natural law is the, the, the law well first of all there should be negotiation not the law but that's for a stateless society but the law of course it should it should reflect a higher morality otherwise it's just brute force Oh, Shay Whelan says, I have a horrible toothache. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, that is, that is a bad scene. That is, there is no pain like tooth pain. I had an ankylosed tooth, a tooth that never quite descended from when I was a kid. It should have been dealt with when I was a kid, but it was socialist dentistry in the UK, and I had to last, was it last year, I think? I had to get this thing, I mean, I went to a bunch of specialists and so on, but I had to get this thing just drilled out, and basically the, the guy went in there with a cherry bomb, and he actually had to drill all the way through to my sinuses, he had to take the bone uh, graft and pack it in there like a snowball and from hell, and uh, it, it, you know, it left me with a little bit of a droop here, because they just went through a bunch of nerve endings and so on, so... Um, and that was it's nothing to do with hygiene. I actually take really really good care of my teeth. I have like a water pick floss and and i i um, I don't eat much sugar and I brush well and all that, and I get my teeth checked like every three to four months uh but um yeah, that was just a matter of time. I was just one of these things like sooner or later, right' Cause it was just it was just gonna happen so um I'm sorry about the toothache man. I don't know I mean my dentist um uh, my dentist uh, is, is available... I'm not saying you can go see my dentist. My, my, dent- my dentist is available for emergencies. Maybe you can call around and find a dentist who will see you in an emergency because that does sound like an emergency, man. Tooth pain is... It's like a concentrated ice cream headache that just goes on forever. Like uh, a friend of mine was... Um, used to have this kind of joke. Man, I grew up with some funny people. I really, really did. Um, I really think all of them should have gone into being comedians. But anyway, um, he would say... Um, Like, whoever could mentally control an ice cream headache could just rule the world. Like, you disagree with someone, ice cream headache, Ah, you know, whatever you need, whatever you need. So, yeah, toothaches are like concentrated ice cream cream headaches. And, man, if you've never had tooth pain, you've had a good day. So, I'm sorry about that. And, you know, please, please, if you can find someone to go have a look at it, that would be my particular suggestion. Um, Let's see here. I've had to get a root canal in the midst of the closures. They classified it as an emergency. I didn't get sick. Thank God. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's James, right? Uh, James, you may remember him from. Helping out with the Discord server and helping run, run the call-in show on Friday and Sunday. So, yeah, that's a bad scene. I was hoping with this tooth that they could get the root canal thing done, but it was no luck. It was just done. Um, Maurice says, Dear Steph, I've lost my job in this hellish time period. Penny for your thoughts on how to get back on my feet. I want to work in online media as well. I'm Dutch. If that even makes a difference. Well, so, you know, how how you deal with this shutdown is obviously a very, very big question. And... I mean, I've been doing it partly just trying to get things sorted out from a technical standpoint that I've needed to get sorted out for quite some time. Uh, Like, I have two different computers that I use to run shows. And um, one of them had a crackle in the audio. The other one doesn't live stream video games because it's not fast enough. And it's just I'm I'm trying to consolidate things. so I don't have to keep changing all the cables in the back every time I need to switch a show. I've been working on trying to improve uh, video and audio quality and uh, trying to find more efficient ways to get shows produced, because I don't have a producer and haven't had for uh, a year and a half, I guess now. So when you have this kind of slowdown, what is it that you're going to do with with it, right? Now, you can, of course, kind of veg out and have despair and so on. And and we're all going to have that to some degree or another. And I sympathize with that. And that's a natural human reaction. But, 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 whatever happens to you in life, This is really, really important. Whatever happens to you in life, you have to try and find a way that you're happy it happened. (laughs) It sounds odd, right? It sounds odd. Whatever happens to you in life, you have to try and find a way to make yourself glad it happened. So, I mean, so I had uh, cancer, right? And so now I like to wear this big-ass brimmed hat, like a make sure I don't get any any extra sun on my skin as much as humanly possible, and I wear up to sunscreen, and I try and stay in the shade. And So I'm like, okay, so I got cancer, but at least I can use that to get me to not get skin cancer, right? Because I'm half German, half Irish. We're not exactly known for our swarthy complexions, right? Although this, this camera is very kind on my, <laughs> on my spottiness, whereas the high-def cameras are not. But you know, if I get kicked off a platform, I'll just try and find some way to get a better situation on another platform. And so if um, I once had an optometrist, this a couple of years ago, I had an optometrist, oh, your your eye nerves are, you on one eye, or both eyes are too thin, or in six months, I'm like, oh, I hope my eyes are okay. And I think it was talking with John Waters, who was saying his eyes. So, so now, you know, what do I do? Well, I take sort of eye supplements, and I make sure that I do my 20, 20 20 rule, like every 20 minutes, take a break for 20 seconds and look at something at least 20 yards away or 20 feet away. I can't remember what it is, but I listen to more audiobooks rather than reading with a book in front of my face, you know, just try and sort of help my vision sustain itself. And I have a pretty good vision, but, you know, I've needed glasses for like 10 years, and I just want to keep things as healthy as possible. Now we're stuck inside, so... Uh, what, what can I do? Well, I can deal with all the technical hiccups and slowdowns that have plagued me all these years and I can, you know, teach my daughter how to play Scrabble better and, you know, like I can exercise more and like whatever it is that you can do to say, I made the best of that situation. I made the, con- the best conceivable outcome. I had the best conceivable outcome of that situation and so I was in a seven-year relationship in my 20s almost married the wrong girl like disastrously the wrong girl and I'm glad that happened now because that led me to the woman I've now been married to for 17 years and it's wonderful so how like I became a good parent because I had such bad parents right so it's this you got to do the reversal you got to do the flip you got to do the flip it's it's a wake-up call right COVID is a wake-up call. You've got to do the flip, and you've got to look back and say, I made the very best that I could out of that very difficult situation, right? I mean, when I first got attacked by the media back in 2008 for being a cult leader, right, because I was telling people they didn't have to spend time with abusive parents or abusive anyone for that matter, well, what did I say to myself? I said, okay, well, that's not good because, you know, I didn't really have much of a a platform to respond back then because the show was very small. And I said, okay, well, what can I do about this? How can I make my show better based on this? And so what I did was I started doing interviews. I started interviewing psychologists. I started interviewing mental health experts. I just started, I think Stuart Shanker was one of my first interviews way back in the day. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to just, if people aren't accepting the reason, then maybe they'll accept the evidence, right? So the reasoning behind voluntarism in personal relationships was to me pretty clear. But maybe I can get people to start accepting the evidence. In other words, the experts will you know, kind of back me up on this. So I did. And, and and that kind of got me into doing interviews, which has been kind of a mainstay of what it is that I do. So I turned a negative and tried to make it into a, uh, a positive, right? And, and that's that's really important to uh, to to try and achieve in life. Try, try, try your very, very best. Oh, got a little blurry there, right? Try, try, try your very, very best to make sure that you get the most positive out of a negative to the point where you say, like, nobody's glad that COVID's happening. So I'm not trying to sort of say that, but what I am saying is, can you get to the point where you can say? It was a plus for me. I made the most plus out of it as possible. And look, I understand how sensitive this is because people in the audience, people around the world, you're losing people. We've got a quarter million people who are dead. Some of them would doubtless have died otherwise, but not all of them. And other people are dying because of the shutdown, as I talked about a month ago. Now I was calling for the reopening of everything. So nobody's going to sit there and say, you know, yay, SARS-CoV-2. But what you can do is you can say, I got the very, very best out of this situation because I couldn't make the situation go away, but I got the very, very best out of it. So that's a long way of saying, look, you've been given a gift of unemployment. Now, you can look at it as a curse, and I get that, right? But let's say you don't have enough money. So what you can do is you can vow to yourself that you are never, ever, ever going to be in the situation again. Where you have to worry about paying rent. And if that means living lean, living close to the ground, and saving and saving and saving, that's what you gotta do. So you can sit there and say, man, that one time. I mean, I remember one time in my life, one time in my life, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was only paying 275 bucks a month in rent for a room. And I was like, you know what? I'm absolutely out of cash. I'm absolutely, I'm like skint as they like, I you know, turn your pockets inside out. And I'd already tapped my friends and all that. And, you know, frankly, that got me off my butt. And I called a recruiter. I've said, just told this story before. I called a recruiter. I still remember her name. Marnie. I even remember her last name. And I said, you know what? I said, I need a job. Like, I love it to do with computers. I mean, it can be cleaning computers. It can be moving computers. I don't, please, but please, please, please. I desperately need a job. I will not let you down. I'm so hungry for this, and I want to make it work. And... She was very nice, and she set me up at an interview with a trading company, a stock trading company, and I went in, and they asked me some questions, and I showed them some of my computer code that I'd been working on as a hobby, and they were like, yeah, sounds good. (laughs) So that was my first professional job, making $40,000 a year, which was all the money on the planet back then, coming out of my graduate degree in in history, and I, uh, I biked to work every day, and it wasn't too far, and... That was the beginning. And from there, I started a software company. And it was like, so you got to make sure you bounce. Like, life is going to knock you the hell down from time to time. And sometimes it feels like every bloody day, you're just waking up to a punching bag, or being a punching bag, right? So life is going to knock you down. The important thing is not how far you go down or how far fast you hit the ground. The whole thing is how high can you bounce? How can you use that momentum? to get something better in your life. So you can look back and say, my God, am I glad that I got fired. My God, am I glad I got fired. That's the challenge. That's where your level of creativity has to be in life. I am so glad. I am so glad I broke up with that girl in my 20s. I am glad that the media went after me because it caused me to significantly improve and expand the range of what it is that I was doing, right? I am so glad for X or for Y or for Z. I am so glad. I mean, I, I, I could go into stories after story, but, but you, you, you get the point. You're a smart audience, right? So you get the point, right? Life is going to knock you the hell down on a regular basis if you're trying to do anything because we have no choice about that. If we don't take any risks, we get bored and depressed, feel and useless, and we are not extending ourselves to our full capacity, and that's just going to make us unhappy. So that's not an option, right? To To just, you know, you could work as a ditch digger your whole life, but if you've got an IQ of, you know, 120 plus, you know, it's going to be pretty, it's going to be a pretty wretched existence, and you are Going to be, you know, wasting your capacities, wasting your talents, wasting your potential. It's going to make you depressed and anxious, and you're going to be down there in this sort of underworld of people, right? And so you have to try things that you're going to fail at. If all you do is say, I'm really good at walking, I could walk without falling down, and you just walk around all day saying, Yay, I walked, you know, which I mastered at the age of one and a half. Well, that's not going to be very satisfying for you. It's going, to, it's going to make you depressed and anxious and you're going to get this growing sense of panic at the underutilization of your God or nature-given talents, which I assume in this audience are prodigious and intense, right? So you got to go and try things that you can fail at. You have to, have to, have to go and try things that you can fail at. Otherwise, there's no satisfaction in winning. You know, I mean, there's no point taking the same spelling test from grade two for the rest of your life and calling this, you have to, you have to always be at the edge of what it is you can do. And I'm, I'm pushing myself to, to, to be at the edge of what it is that I can do where I have success and I have failure because if no capacity for failure then. There's no possibility of achievement, no satisfaction in mastery or anything like that. You have to be doing something that you can fail at and that means you're going to fail. And the failure, of course, is natural It is inevitable. It is healthy. It is a positive thing. So you lost your job. I'm so sorry about that. I'm so sorry about that. So the first thing you need to do is say, how am I going to make this job loss the greatest thing that ever happened to me? Right? When I broke up from an on-again, off-again, seven-year relationship in my 20s, Shoot, was it 20s? I might have been my early 30s. No, it was 20s. I, I said to myself, okay, this is a terrible situation, but I, I'm never going to repeat this mistake again. I'm never going to waste this time. I'm never going to cross my fingers and hope things get better because it was one of these relationships where it's like it wasn't hell. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I mean, she was a nice lady in many ways, but it was just kind of like it never quite, you know, like a plane that's got enough fuel to just lift the wheels up but not enough momentum or energy to get up and fly somewhere. It was just kind of bumping along. Right, and if the plane just stops, you get out. If you're up flying somewhere, you get somewhere. But this kind of bumping along stuff is is it drives you crazy, right? Because you're always crossing your fingers, and then you get the fallacy of sunk costs. Well, I've sunk, sunk three years in. Why not four? Right? It's going to get better. You know, going to grow. But um, I wanted to look back and say okay, that this this I mean, I got out of the ring, I proposed, and and the fact that we I, I broke up with her like this has to be the greatest thing ever. And, and it is now in hindsight, I look back and say that was one of the greatest things that happened to me because it taught me a huge amount and I, I made sure I was never going to make that mistake again, right? So you lost your job, okay. Were you not productive enough? It may be completely outside of your hands, okay. So then you're going to say a disaster has happened as it's happened to all of us economically. COVID has, you know, communism has, is, is trying to kill capitalism, right? So you're saying, well, how can I make myself less vulnerable to this next time? You know, can I can I save my money, right? I had a friend who spent probably maybe fifteen thousand dollars on like believe it or not, on bootleg concert videos. Like there they used to be out of they probably still there probably aren't anymore, but there used to be these big giant halls where you'd go and you'd buy bootleg concerts and, and, you know, if he'd gone to a concert, he wanted to get the bootleg of it and so on. He had this entire wall full of like bootleg CDs and, back in the days, VHS videotapes and all that kind of stuff. And he spent, he was a music fanatic. And he, he taught me a lot about music. And I, I really, really appreciated his tutelage on music. He was a, I was a bit of a music nerd when I was younger, kind of into Engelbert Humperdinck, although I never really got into Leroy Conniff singers, which my mum liked because that was just a little bit too boomery for me. But but he had like 15,000 at least could have been more just he would i never understood buying movies cuz i've almost never watched the same movie twice right but anyway he he had this entire wall full of just stuff right and then he he lost his job and he got really depressed and he had a tough time shaking it off and getting back on the horse right and he was i remember him telling me like he said like, i'm looking at this wall and i'm like why did i buy all of this stuff why I never take it down. I never listen to it. It's like this weird Gabba Mate classical music CD compulsion to just hoard. Like you're some obsessive squirrel storing up nuts for a Game of Thrones winter of endlessness, right? And so he got the overspending. And I said, okay, well, so you've got to make a, well, maybe you can sell some of this stuff or whatever. But and, and now the funny thing is, of course, all of these things are available online for free. right? You go look up live concert. You can go and find – Queen from the Rainbow Room in 1974, you can find Queen at Montreal, Queen on Fire, Queen at Milton Keynes, you can find Queen all over the place. And yet he had all of these, right? And how many times did he pop it down and put it in and listen to it and play it? Like, almost never. So that um, financial panic was like, okay, you can never let yourself get into the situation again. So whatever skills you have to develop, whatever um, entrepreneurial skills you may want to develop, whatever partnership you may want to develop, whatever abilities that you need, use this time to get those abilities like it's a five-alarm fire, like it's a massive emergency because it kind of is, right? I don't mean like for you, you're not going to starve to death or anything. But, But if you want to work in online media, then make it your business to go and find value for someone. You know, like, I can't tell you the number of people who's like, oh, man, you should interview this person, that person. It's like they just give me a name, right? Like, come on. I'm ridiculously busy. I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home dad. I'm a husband. I run this world's biggest philosophy show. My days are kind of like getting shot out of a cannon and <laughs> splat hitting the wall and sliding down, Looney Tunes style at the end of the day. So when people say to me, you got to go and interview such and such a person, right? And they just give me a name. Like, well, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to go and look them up, find out what they're all about, figure out what their position is, go watch some of their videos. I don't have the time. I, I don't. Like, I don't have time. And so, what I do is I appreciate when somebody says, I think you should interview this person. Here's why. Here's an extract from their video. Here's what they said. Here's where it's relevant. Here's why it's important. Blah, 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 blah. Like, all the people are like, hey, you should do a presentation on such and such. It's like, just give me one. Give me one that's well-sourced so I can put it together and, you know, but I don't know. It's just strange to me. Like if people want something done and they just kind of, hey, man, I, I I suggested something. It's like that's not going to get you anywhere in life, right? I mean, that's just not. So if you want to work in online media, you know, find whoever runs your favorite online media and figure out how to provide them value. And then if you've got to work for free for a bit or whatever, just do it, right? So you can, and then you can look back and say, oh man, I'm so glad I got fired from that job because now I've got this great new thing. But it's again, knife is going to, life is going to knock you down repeatedly. And it, the only thing, the art of the bounce, maybe that's my next book, right? The art of the bounce is all that really matters in life because there's so many people, they go down like freaking plasticine, you know, like you throw plasticine at the tile floor, it don't bounce. It just, just goes splat like slime, right? Just black. Like you take out your liver, just throw it on the ground, right? You want to be as uh, rubbery, as bouncy as as humanly possible. Because so many people get knocked down, they don't get back up again. You got to be the person who bounces higher. I know it defies the laws of physics, but we have will to substitute for physics. So that's my suggestion to you. I hope this isn't too long, but I also know that there's lots of people facing that kind of stuff as well. You know, I did a video last year called My Brutal Year, and it felt rough at the time, and it got worse after that. Like, it got worse after that. And, you know, now my video views are being crushed again, and it's just like, man, I'm going to (laughs) bounce. I'm just going to bounce. And I have bounced enough times now to know I'll find a way. I'll find a way. I'll find a way to make it work. (laughs) You can't keep a good man down. Uh, If people are already going without government living above or off the grid, explain what is the best way to do so without the government screwing things up more. I don't know. I'm so sorry. I don't really quite follow that. Uh, all right. So, what happens if someone breaks the contract brought on by negotiation? Popper puppy. Hmm. It seems like a. Uh, <laughs> uh, it seems like a tongue twister. So, um, they're called dispute resolution organizations. I don't know how a free society works. That's the whole point. The whole. If somebody knew how a free society was going to work how society would spontaneously self-organize in the absence of government, then that person could kind of be an economic dictator, but nobody knows. But I'll tell you what we do know is that people are going to require some enforcement of contracts in a free society. Now, the government is like the illusion Of an answer in the same way that superstition is like the illusion of an answer for how material phenomena work. We say, Oh, why is there, why did the volcano erupt? Oh, because you see the volcano god is angry and you were dancing, and so let's not dance anymore. And then the volcano erupts again and say, Why did the volcano erupt? Well, the volcano god was angry because you were singing, so now no singing and no dancing, and you just end up with this perpetually shrinking sphere. This is what the social justice warriors do like, paint you into a corner to the point where you lash out, and then they say, Ah, you're violent, right? So, The state is not an answer. Like, the only people who think that you need a government to help you resolve disputes are people who've never once tried to use the government to resolve a dispute. I had an issue many years ago, and I um, wanted legal remedy. I called a lawyer, and the lawyer said, yeah, it's a good case, but uh, it's going to take you five to ten years and about a quarter of a million dollars. But that's when a quarter of a million dollars really meant something, right? I mean, and I was like, oh, okay. So we ended up going to arbitration, but there was a cap on how much I could get and all that. So uh, I did win and and all that. And I remember saying to the lawyer before we went into arbitration, I said, yeah, we've got this, right? And we we did. I won't tell you how, but we had we had we had them by the short and curlies, right? I remember the lawyer saying, oh yeah, yeah, you're, you're totally in the right. The the law is completely on your side. And I'm like, well, let's go for the max. And he's like, hmm. Now, they've made an offer. Let's just take their offer. I'm like, no, but you said we got them. And he said, listen, son, (laughs) I tell you, when you go into that mediation room, you have no idea what the judge is going to do. And I said, hmm, but basically we have a signed confession. Like, this is like, it's like, yeah, yeah, but you never know. You never, ever know. And I'm like, okay, so there's no law, right? There's just some opinion with a gun, as I said before, right? So the only people who say that... We need the government to help us resolve disputes or those who have never tried to use the court system to resolve a dispute. One other time, uh, I use small claims to get something from someone. That's sort of a different matter, but that's sort of very, very, very limited, right? So how does a contract get enforced in the absence of a state? It's a great question. Okay, so let's say that... Um, you have a building and I want to lease it for a couple of years. It's 100000 bucks, or something like that, right? So uh, clearly, you could come with guards and kick me out. And clearly, I might not pay you on an ongoing basis. Maybe I don't put the whole money up front. It's a mortgage situation or something like that, right? So we're both going to need protection from that situation, right? So what we do is we, um, we both put a small amount of money in to say that if either of us breaks the contract, we agree to be bound by XYZ company, right? Some mediation company, some external agency. We say, okay, if we have a dispute, we're both going to take our facts to this particular agency and we absolutely agree to abide by the conclusion of that agency. You know, there may be an appeal process or whatever, right? So that's what you do. Now, of course, the next question is, well, what happens if you don't, like, let's say you and I get into a dispute, we go to XYZ company, and they say, "Staff, you're in the wrong, you've got to pay 50 grand. And I'm like, nope, I'm not going to do it, right? So I've said that I'm going to pay $50,000 if the company tells me to, but then the company tells me to, the mediation company tells me to, and I don't, right? Okay, well, what happens then? That's a valid question, right? Well, uh, first of all, what happens now if somebody doesn't follow a particular court order, well, frankly, very little for the most part. You know, maybe you can get them going to garnish you wages or whatever, but it's really, really tough to enforce. So there is no magic system where this all works perfectly. But So what I would want is I would want from XYZ Company that if, well, you would want, let's say, we we'll go back to the example of you. So if you and I in the dispute, XYZ Company says, I, Steph, have to pay you 50 grand and I don't pay it, then I, you want the company to pay it instead, right? It's like insurance for a failure to comply with arbitration. Okay, so then the company is out $50,000, right? Now, are they going to raise the rates on you for insuring contracts? No. They're going to put a big black check mark or X, I guess a big black or big red X right next to my name saying, Steph, this guy does not honor his contracts. You know, he, he has a dispute. He agreed ahead of time to accept the arbitration. And then he rejected the arbitration. So then they're not going to insure me again, right? They're not going to be somebody who guarantees my contract. It's not going to happen. They're going to kick me off, right? Now, maybe there's some other place, right? Some other place is going to look at me and say, ooh, you just cost the last company 50 grand because they had to pay the 50 grand that you didn't pay. So I don't want to, no, no way. I don't want to have anything to do with you, right? So it's going to be really tough. Now, there may be some sort of dodgy, edge-of-the-empire, uh, Tatooine-style companies that will be like, yeah, I'll take you on. But they would be known to not have great reputations. The reputation is very easy to figure out online. And so at some point, it would be very, very tough for me to enter into contracts. In fact, it would be functionally impossible. And I don't mean like maybe I could go buy groceries, obviously, or whatever it is, right? But if I tried to do business and people called, me out, called out my name and, oh, what's your, what's your contract rating? Right. Now if my contract rating is very good, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that I've never had a dispute. What that means is that I have agreed and abided by the arbitration that I agreed to ahead of time. Right? Now there will be companies all competing for for the best ways to figure out this kind of arbitration. So it'll be very, very efficient, it'll be very cheap, it'll be very effective, and there'll be appeals process and so on. So It's kind of the way that it works on places like eBay or whatever. Like you have a rating. Like if you don't ship stuff and people are like, hey, man, you didn't ship me the stuff, then you get a bad rating and people don't want to do business with you. So it's very important for you to protect your reputation. So this is how contracts would work in a a free society. Now, I could go into the criminal aspect of things. That's more the civil or the business aspect of things. But for more on that, you can read. I got two free books at freedomain.com. One is called Everyday Anarchy, which shows just how this works in our life every day. And there was a really it's a great thesis in the book. One of the theses goes something like this. So we say that we need the government to enforce contracts, but the government runs on illegal contracts. right? So the, the government runs on illegal contracts because you're not allowed to give 2500 bucks to a congressman to have a meeting. That's called a bribe, right? So you're not allowed to do that. However, you can donate to a congressman and if you get a whole bunch of people you have a you know a, a whatever dollar a plate dinner and you raise whatever hundreds of thousands of dollars for that congressman when you call out that congressman and you say after he gets elected and you say hey man i want a meeting the congressman is going to say come on in and he's going to feel obligated and, and that's how the system works now all of this is completely illegal right you can't use money to influence It's illegal to use money to influence a congressman but this is how it all works everybody knows this is how it all works So we say, well, we need the government to enforce contracts that would be above board, perfectly legal, and perfectly transparent in a free society. We need the government to enforce contracts, but the government itself runs on contracts that are unenforceable and illegal, but work beautifully. So if we, we understand that something like the government works from an illegal standpoint, we understand that a free society would work very well from a legal standpoint. Uh, Reopen now, says Harry, cojones, and I can't help you, but I can't help but agree. Given that there is no cure, how much longer should we suffer from home imprisonment at gunpoint? Well, um, the communists want to destroy the market, right? They want to destroy the free market. That's what is going on. So um, uh, uh, we will wake up. Sorry, we will get out when we wake up to the danger of communism. The wizard says, Stefan Molyneux, I have to disagree. There is no disagreement. I've had some serious tooth pain. I have also had three burst discs in my neck. Give me the tooth pain any day. Ooh, that's rough, man. Cause you know, you, it's sort of like, um, until you have a sore butt, you don't realize how often you clench your butt. And until you have, I guess, a what was it? Burst discs on your neck. You don't realize how much you swivel your neck. Did communism originate in Sparta? Actually, the great Diana West has a bunch of stuff. You know, I was I was, la- was it last year? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting all kinds of blurry. So last year I was uh, sort of investigating or asking questions or mulling over, you know, what was sort of the role of Judaism and communism? Because, you know, it's kind of a common trope in, in online chatter. And I've kind of heard the rumors and I've heard Putin and I've heard Solzhenitsyn and I've read the articles by Winston Churchill and so on. And Solzhenitsyn and, and Winston Churchill have never been described to my knowledge as, you know, Sort of basically anti Semitic or anti Semitic at all. And so I was sort of interested in this. And she had a great tweet where she was saying, you know, here are all of the other non Judaic antecedents to communism. And that's really, really kind of important. So yeah, um, it, it well could, but I do not know the history of communism from that standpoint. So Steph, can one, Jerry uh, says, Steph, can one be self sufficient on their own property? And the only subservience to the state would be property tax. Can a group of people avoid the state by being self-sufficient for the most part? Yes. Yes, you can. uh, Chuck says, Stefan, I'm white, male, and too poor to pay you for a question. Do you uh, see anybody paying me for a question here? (laughs) How do you think the rewiring of our non-economy will affect the mental health of the social justice warrior? well i'll tell you i mean that's a great question chuck and and uh you've you've paid me you've paid me more than enough just by asking that question so um when like we're a problem-solving species that's what we do i just tweeted about this today we are a problem-solving species so we got to the top of the food chain by just being the best at solving problems you know like anglerfish like how do you get the mosquito larvae down from the leaf. Well, you, you spit water at it and it falls down, right? So we're a problem-solving species. So when we're poor, when we're stone age, when we're medieval, our problem-solving is let's not die. Let's try and avoid the black death, also comes from China, by the way. Let's uh, try and avoid dying because it rained on our wheat after we harvested it before we grounded into bread? Or, you know, can we survive the winter? Or how long is it going to go? Right? Can I can I fish so I can live? So we're constantly solving problems that are kind of emergencies. Now, when you become a parent, you're in a constant state of solving problems as well. Right? And that's a good thing, right? How am I going to keep my kids entertained? How am I going to get them educated about the world? How am I going to engage with them in an enjoyable way? Is it age appropriate? You know, can I wrestle with them to the point where they have fun, but no one gets hurt? Like, it's all problem solving when it comes to uh, once to come comes to to parenting, right? So we are a problem-solving species. Now, when we become wealthy, as a society, we still have the same hunger to solve problems, but there just aren't as many dire problems to solve. So what do we do? We start inventing problems. So allowing for inequality is how we gain wealth, right? As I've talked about a million times on the show, right? The square root of any productive group produces half the value. So you're a ten thousand-person company, hundred people produce half the value. 10 of those 100 produce half that value so you got 10 people out of 10,000 producing fully 25% of the value of the entire company. And so if they don't get a dis- like a proportionately if they don't get a proportionate reward to their productivity they'll just stop working so hard, everyone gets poor and everything falls to crap, right? So allowing for inequality is how we become rich. But then what happens is and I think it's a little bit more on the female than on the male side because men are a little bit more content with artificial challenges like video games and so on, right? And so what happens is inequality, the acceptance of inequality is how we build our wealth, and then we destroy it by inventing the problem called inequality. Inequality is a solution to poverty. Inequality is a solution. I don't mean inequality under the law, you understand. It's just inequality of outcome. I mean, there's no music industry if bad singers and bad songwriters have exactly the same amount of exposure as great singers and great songwriters, right? I mean, there's no music industry, right? So the only way that you have a music industry is a wildly disproportionate sorting mechanism to get the most talented or the most popular in front of people. And that's the only reason there is a music industry. Inequality is the foundation of the music industry. It's the foundation of the sports sports, industry. industry as well, right? Nobody's going to pay to watch me play basketball, but, you know, hopefully people will support me while I do philosophy, which I'm a little bit better at than I am at basketball, right? So inequality is the root of progress, because inequality allows the most productive resources to be in the hands of those best able to maximize their output, right? So you want the means of production to be in the Quote, robber baron geniuses who can make the most productive use of those resources rather than scattered among among a bunch of people who don't know which way the machine points and can't make it work productively, right? It just, just destroys everything. So inequality gives us progress and it gives us wealth. And then we say, well, the big problem is now inequality and we're going to solve that. And then what we do is we take our wealth from the productive people and we give it to the unproductive people by force and then everything falls apart and everything turns to shit. And that's the cycle. That is the cycle. It's a, state, it's a status cycle, you understand, is what happens when you have a government. But that is the cycle. And so social justice warriors now have real problems. They now have real problems. I think it's in particular true of unattractive and or childless women have this smothering of society, right? They try to mother society as a whole. Like when you hear this, the vulnerable, the excluded, the poor, the marginalized, that's all just like triggering women to try to mother society. But, you, you know, mothering is for your own children. It's not for society as a whole. And mother, you know, socialism, S, puts the S in mother and turns it into smother. You want to know what smother is? It's socialist mothering, right? Well, you try and turn society into a family. And you try and turn the population as a whole into children and you turn the leaders into parents and abusive parents, I might add as well, because it's an artificial situation. So social justice warriors, I think, will get pre- more, more healthy because they actually have real problems to solve rather than just made up problems like, um, how do I fix my black mascara so that my blue hair doesn't rinse into my face when it rains? All right, do a couple more. Joseph says, I live alone, not doing great after two months. Oh man, Joseph, my heart goes out to you. Um, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything, but uh, I do know that the community uh, uh, on the Discord server is uh, the Free Domain Discord server, which you can get through uh, Free Domain. Dot, sorry, you can get it through Subscribestar.com forward slash Free Domain. This three bucks a month, gets you in. Uh, it's a little bit out of my hands because the technology is all set up that way. But, um, and, you know, if, if you can't afford it, just let me know and I'll, I'll kick it in for you. But, uh, you know, they're running Dungeons & Dragons campaigns. They have great chats uh, and there's now video chat and so on. So uh, please join that community. Uh, it can do you a lot of good. And, you know, we'll be in on the call-in shows. Uh, I will drop in uh, sometimes uh, to to check things out and have chats with people and all that. And what was it last weekend? Uh, some intrepid people. Um, somebody set up a free domain minecraft server and we went and took on the ender dragon which was quite a lot of fun my daughter was there as well so uh, please try and find some way it doesn't have to be through this but please try and find some way to get in contact with people and have productive conversations it's a really great community everybody there is very friendly and very sensitive and uh, you know that hopefully will be a good place for you to go and again i'm not trying to sell you anything it's three bucks a month if you can't afford it no shame right we've all been there right and then just let me know and I'll, I'll find a way to get you in there. All right. So uh, I hope that will help. Do you think that Ireland will ever leave the EU? I, You know, Ireland is one of these places that is um, it's a little tough to awaken, but boy, th- th- do they ever need to. Uh, and you can check out my, I, I, I did a video, I think it's now on BitChute uh, Ireland. Just do a search for Ireland in 2030. It's pretty important. So please hopefully share, share that with people. Uh, the Onion Stargazer says, I'm doing fine besides getting this Wuhan crap back in early January. Don't let them fool you. This hit Idaho and the rest of the nation late December to early January. If you can give us a little bit more details about what happened with that, that would be great. A man overboard, uh, oh, sorry, he was talking to someone else. Not me. (gasps) how dare you talk to people? Not me. I must be the spoke of the wheel. I must be the center of the spoke of the wheel. All right. Uh, oh, man, I missed a whole bunch of stuff here. Okay, I'll do a little bit, um, Video games are not an artificial challenge. Come back and say that after beating Doom Eternal. Yeah, I'll I'll try and get some in tomorrow. Um, it's been a little while. I, I basically have to wait until I forget how to play, and then I have, to go, I have to go back in. So, A bit of a fast talker, not quoting a Seinfeld episode. What do I think of Elon Musk's son, Xay, A12? What did somebody say? That it, was, it somehow translated to Satan? <laughs> so... I, I think it's uh, highly pretentious and completely ridiculous to name your child that. And it's, the I mean, Charles is going to change their name anyway, so. Video games are not an artificial challenge. Uh, that's debatable, I suppose. But uh, it's not a real challenge like rock climbing, like where physical stamina, strength, and all that is is kind of necessary. And uh, it's a challenge for sure. Like Scrabble is a challenge. But it's uh, somewhat artificial. Um... Andrew Greenan says, I lost all my work. Opera singer for this year will probably be years before the gigs come back, if ever, here in New Zealand, studying data science at home under lockdown. What would be your plan B or Z? Can you lend me your voice? I'd love to sing like an opera singer, at least once in my life. It would just be lovely. Um, I don't know, but, I mean, uh, definitely, uh, if you're a performer, things are going to be pretty tough for a long time. What about... Maybe offering opera singing lessons online or uh, doing concerts online or getting your friends together and doing videos that you could put ads on where maybe you could recreate famous songs with opera singers doing all of the instruments. I mean, just lots of different things that you could do, uh, but you'd write an opera and uh, try and uh, get opera singers to sing it. And maybe you could get a cool song out of it, you know, like out Rent, they got that one song out of it and all that. So that's a lot of different things that you could do. Uh, Stefan, get entropy. It is a tool for you to make dollars while doing live chats. Ah, all right. Can you shoot me something at operation, operations, sorry, operations at freedomain.com And I will check that out. Thank you very much. All right. From problem solving species to problem species in under 15 years. Yeah, that's kind of true. Hey, Steph, I'd love to hear your thoughts on intuition versus premeditation or thinking with your gut versus thinking with your head. Right. So, your head is for solving technical problems, and your gut is for finding evil, right? So your gut is um, in particularly is particularly good at figuring out predators, which is why you know I, I do these call-in shows, of course, right? And everybody I say to everyone, "What were the red flags that you saw ahead of time, you know, some crazy woman or whatever, right?" And like I did this call with the guy today, and he's like, "Oh, I've been married for 16 years, and and you know it's not going well at all and I'm like, okay, well, what was, you know, were there any red flags ahead? He's like, well, yeah, I didn't really get him at the time, but, you know, her parents let a heroin addict live in the house and babysit the kids for a number of years. And I'm like, yeah, it could be considered a bit of a red flag. And it kind of went downhill from there. Her, her, her parents drank quite a bit and showed up to, the mom showed up to a parent-teacher conference drunk and all that. So... They need to separate you from your gut, right? Like we have the second brain down there, like the lizard brain at the bottom of the post-monkey beta expansion pack called humanity. We got this lizard brain uh, in our in the base of our brain. We've got this gut sense, you know. There is a second brain down there, and it's really, really good at figuring out predators. Like you know, if if you walk up to a pond in springtime, you can see all of the little um, tadpoles, all just like in their squiggly, calm way, just heading off to the deep moss, right? They want to get up there to where the sun is for some reason, like maybe the heat or vitamin D or whatever, right? And then they just squidge down into the moss or under the rocks. So, you know, they can't reason, but they can sense danger. They can sense danger. And a lot of modern philosophy and psychology is around separating you, separating you from your gut, which allows you to determine predators. Of course, predators want to disarm you from your gut. Everybody who tells you don't follow your instincts, think you know you're 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 overthinking things or whatever. All they're trying to do is separate you from your gut sense, and that is a very dangerous and deadly thing to do to human beings. And uh, there's a lot of camouflage, of course, with people, right? So people will camouflage themselves to look pretty, or they will camouflage themselves with a lot of money, or they you know just any number of things that they can do, or will do, uh, in order to distract you from your guts you gotta be careful people who look too good or who too you know like you see these guys on twitter all the time you know it's like uh i'm gonna use the lockdown to get more abs and it's like you know it's great that you got abs but uh you know how's the quality of your conscience and how's the quality of your soul these days right uh abs ain't gonna make you happy in the long run in fact they could just attack they could just attract other vain narcissists who um are going to uh do a lot more to um destroy your life than um Make you happy. So let me just, I just want to check here. So let me just take a tiny little break here because this is one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you guys, was also to test. Um, so, yeah, it looks like uh, so it's not getting all too blocky here, right? Okay, that's good. I just wanted to check that um, we weren't blocking out like we were before. It's coming through okay, right? All right. So the unconscious. Right, the subconscious has been clocked at eight thousand times faster than the conscious mind when it comes to assessing things like danger and predatory situations. So, I, like I, I, I won't say I'm addicted, but I listen to this darkly charming podcast called Crime Junkies um, sometimes, and they, uh, they're constantly reinforcing these two women, uh, Ashley Flowers and. I'm Brit, right? These two women are constantly reminding you, like, trust your guts, trust your instincts. If something feels wrong, if it feels bad, if something feels dark, if something feels dangerous, trust your instincts, get out of there. Like, they're constantly reinforcing this in people, which is very, very good advice. Trust your gut, trust your instincts. If somebody gives you a bad feeling, it's probably for a very, very good reason. So um, this is why I've constantly championed instinct, intuition, emotions. They are not opposed to philosophy at all. It's like saying leg muscles are somehow opposed. They have nothing to do with philosophy. Well, of course, leg muscles are essential to do with philosophy because if we hadn't been able to run away from predators, we wouldn't have developed this brain that allows us to have philosophy, right? I mean, if you don't have a sense of of who to be afraid of, of who's dangerous, who's who predatory, then you you are going to be easy meat. You are going to be easy prey. It's like there's this um, virus that affects cats, and it has to jump from cat to cat. And the way that it does it is it doesn't kill mice, but what it does is it makes, make, makes mice unafraid of cats, right? So then the mouse uh, the, the cat eats the mouse, and then another cat comes along and gnaws on the remains, and that's how the virus transmits, right? So it's communism, right, or other things. You know, we know the demographics. I've done the truth about crime. There are certain demographics, certain demographic uh, pools that are going to be higher risk in terms of crime. Right. And and but they're all like, well, that's bad. It's bad to think negatively of that group. It's bad to be it's racist to say that the Chinese communists had anything to do. And that's like, no, this is they're just trying to separate you. And a lot of the social justice warrior stuff is just trying to desperately settle, separate you from. Your instinct for. Predators and escaping and evading danger, and it's desperately, desperately terrible. And I'm trying to reawaken that to people. Right. All right, uh what have we got here? Government is an absolute essential for civilization to exist. I don't know what to say about there's a government doesn't exist itself i mean that there's no there's no such thing as government. I remember this was Steph Kinsella from a i don't know some male group that i was part of i don't know 15 years ago or whatever right and there was this conversation right the government this the government there and i said but the government doesn't exist of course it does (laughs) and people were emailing me pictures of the Capitol and and so on right i'm like that's the building you show me what the government is what is the government doesn't exist guns exist uniforms exist costumes exist buildings exist books exist But government doesn't exist. It's like saying God exists because a church exists. No. There may be proofs for God, but the fact that a church exists doesn't, right? So government doesn't exist. Government is merely a concept. Government is a category wherein we put people who have the magical ability to fully reverse the ethics they impose on everyone else. So government is the weird, n-dimensional pocket where we put a group of people who can start wars, who can enslave the population, who can throw people in prison, otherwise known as kidnapping, who can borrow in the name of other people, who can counterfeit, who can print their own money, who can initiate the use of force specifically borrowed from the rest of us. So you understand, when you say government is necessary for civilization to exist, what you're saying is that there's a category of people who were never corrupted by power. There's a category of people who can be given the awesome authority to have planet-wrecking weapons, biolabs studying bat coronavirus transmission to humans, the power to type whatever they want into their own bank account, the power to control trillions of dollars at the point of a gun, And they will never abuse that power. And there's no other possible way that society can be organized other than giving a tiny group of sociopaths all the power in the known universe to inflict their violent will on everyone else. That's the very, very best we can possibly do as a society is arm, crazy, power-hungry sociopaths with all the weapons and power in the known universe sit back and cross our fucking fingers. That's the very, very best We can go to the moon, but we can't possibly figure out a better way to organize society than giving a tiny murder elite all the power in the known universe to do whatever the hell they want to a disarmed population. And I say complete, total bullshit. All right. Let's do another couple of cues. I can't believe it, really. An hour and 15. That is remarkable. You guys have great questions, and it's a huge amount of fun. Uh Uh-oh. Looks like we got a scene from Jaws. You call that a scar? Vinlago says, Bingers, I see you in race. Four, bulging, four, herniated, two, ruptured, and extruded discs, scoliosis, arthritis, torn rotator cuff, seven millimeter, impinged spinal cord, depression, no shit, both knees, bone on bone. (sighs) Ooh, man. He is hoping that uh, some sort of artificial body comes along soon that isn't used to make Japanese anime dirty sex toys. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be pretty bad. Although if they do make them, I'm sure the toad flinging monkey will do a quite quite the show reviewing them. All right, let's see here. Oh my gosh, am I ever behind? All right, I'll do a couple of quick ones. A quick one while he's away. Stefan, why? So why don't communists go set up their own self sufficient system and simply pay property tax communism within capitalism? Well, that's like saying why don't Vampires get together and create their own blood bank because they don't have any blood. They need, to, they need their victims, right? They need their victims. And you see, communism—I'll do this in another live stream because it's a big, long topic. I've been here for a while. But see, communism is not—it's not an economic system. It's not a political system. It's nothing like that. Communism is—I really want to, like, torture and kill people, but it's currently illegal, Right? I really want to have bullying, violent, vicious control over others. I want to be able to send people to gulags. I want to be able to bathe in the blood of my enemies. I want to have that deep Conan-style satisfactions and hear the lamentation of their women and see people quake with fear when I walk into the room because I'm one of the inner party O'Brien-style. I want to have that awesome level of terrifying power in the universe. So what bullshit do I need to spread in order to get it? It's got nothing to do with any facts, which is why the facts don't change any of it, right? If you want to know how crazy the average person is, says, kill your television, look at the top 40 current music hits and wonder why people listen to that garbage. That's the most popular stuff, and it's terrible. Yeah, I would say the music is not doing well these days. Steph, when are you going to debate Cantabot? Oh, yeah, there was some guy on Twitter. I think he was super douchey, <laughs> which, you know, is not an argument. I't you know, I'm getting Board of debating communists it's too easy so um, yeah I don't know see, see if he's see if he's got a good topic right so go go talk to the guy see if he's got a good topic that's clearly defined and we'll see we'll see if we can get it all right um, I'm in the music business and I can tell you the best musicians are not the most successful it's the opposite of a meritocracy uh, no it is a complete meritocracy what does success mean in the music industry? It means being able to move product, right? Now, you may disagree with the quality of the music and so on, and you may say, well, Nicki Minaj is not as great a performer as, I don't know, Pavarotti or Freddie Mercury, but um, she she moves product, right? She makes money. So best musicians, what does that mean? The most technically great musicians? But that's not what moves product. That's, I assume, to some degree necessary but not sufficient, Right. So simply being very, very good at playing. Was it, yeah, like uh, Sean Lennon was saying that once about how, was it Frank Zappa's kid can do just about anything he wants on a guitar? So what? Still can't write a song. Still hasn't got, right, that oomph, right? So it doesn't really, you know. You know, Frank Mills, music box dancer, you know, bing, 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 ding, 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 ding right? I mean, that's really, really catchy and, and peppy. And I remember liking that as a teenager and all that because I was really into the hard, hardcore stuff. And, you know, so some guy can do like scales at, you know, 20 beats per second. So what, right? I mean, it's people who move product. It's people like that's success. So yeah, that's that's the way it works. That's what it's for. I mean, I do think that the music industry is, you know, full of Satanists who promote garbage to destroy the world without a doubt but they still move product and they can't force people to buy their material right all right let's see here um how can i oh that's a good question i'll do maybe this last one how can i expect a specific virtue from my kids if i don't currently possess it for example teaching my kids not to stay around bad people if i'm still in contact with bad people you can't that's why you don't Stay around bad people. What can I tell you? Uh, Let's see here. What happens in a stateless society when we disagree about what property rights are? Well, what happens in a current society when you you disagree with the government about taxation? You get thrown into a a rape room, right? You get thrown in jail and you're probably going to get raped. So pretty sure the free market can come up with better solutions than that, right? So... Steph, I've seen you give romantic advice. What do you think the dating scene will be like after coronavirus? Well, hopefully it won't be this corrupt cesspool of STDs and, and uh, garbage pickup and uh, swipe left, swipe right, plenty of fish trash where people are just you know tickling their half-dead circumcised penises for the sake of status with low-rent women. So I hope that people will go out after coronavirus and say, yeah, we got to be a bit more sensible about things, right? Did you hear about the Dallas woman getting arrested and sent to jail for reopening her barbershop? Yeah, she got seven days in jail, and the judge was trying to force her to say that she was being selfish and mean for doing what she did. Oh, it's horrible uh, to me. It's absolutely horrible. The, the, the judge should not require some groveling Soviet-style confession of wrongthink in order to try and avoid jail. I mean, that's just brutal, absolutely brutal. And um, I think the judge is the heavy leftist activist, if I remember reading. Uh, right and all that so free domain discord sounds cool man thanks for the pro tip you are welcome and seriously it is it is great it is great yeah i got the entropy thing for sure i got it i got it did you not hear me say that you are hilarious says jack we love you well thank you very much i love you guys back long time i love you long time okay 122 we won't go Uh, Megan says, hi, Stefan, I'm at high risk with type one diabetes and I'm all my kids have. So we're pretty much quarantined indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the high, high test stuff. I was chatting with a guy the other day who said that uh, he was type one diabetes. Uh, he has lung issues and, um, he's, he's working outside, but I wasn't sure he had a very good assessment of the risk. So I am very, very sorry about this. Please channel your anger against communism. You know, it's a funny thing, right? I mean, it's a funny thing to me. It's a tra- tragic thing. I mentioned it before, right? But uh, the mainstream media was more angry at Lauren and I going to give speeches on free speech than they are at communists for killing a quarter million people with the virus. So We need a debate forum on issues. I don't know what that means. Can you do a show about corrupt communist globalist politicians in Ireland? Uh, well, you may not have been here for the earlier part, but put something together and I would be happy to, to look at it. Uh, hello, Steph. What are your thoughts on the United States economy? Do you think we are due for another crash? Oh God. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the healthiest thing that could possibly happen. Uh, absolutely. The best thing that could possibly happen. Um, this, I'm a band-aid off quick kind of guy. I'm a band that uh, this economy, like the former economy is dead. Yeah, Mr. Kurtz, he dead. Former economy is dead. So, um, so staff, no one seems to be taking the virus seriously over here in Seattle. Traffic has returned to its historic jam status. And I work in automotive. Yeah. Listen, I mean, we're going to have to go through. We're going to have to bite this bullet at some point, right? We're going to have to restart and see what the hell happens, right? We can't stay locked down forever. Like, People are going to, like, we're going to run out of food, right? Please do a show about narcissistic Megan and Harry. Ooh, I don't know. That's a little dicey, right? I mean, it seems a bit frivolous, but, you know, maybe you're right. Uh, if you want to shoot shoot me an angle on the email, that would be great. And the evil that is fractional reserve banking. Yeah, well. So, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of changing my mind about all of this stuff. This is actually what I was going to start with, but you guys are too interesting. <laughs> so I went with what you have to say. I don't really believe now that power corrupts. I believe that the state is invented for people to escape the consequences of their evil actions. And those evil actions often have a lot to do with uh, being very, very nasty to children. So, What are your thoughts on fathers being on lockdown and away from their kids in this virus? Yeah, I was just talking about that with a friend of mine the other day. Just like, what the heck is going on with people who are separated and the fathers can't get over to see their kids? That's pretty bad. Matthew says, I was walking my dog the other day, and about six different families were outside in the road with their kids all playing and socializing. It was nice to see no one died. Well, sure, I think of all of the studies that have been done on, and please, I'm no medical expert, so don't take anything as this medical advice. But of all the studies that I've seen on SARS-CoV-2, there's not been one instance, one instance of outdoor fresh air transmission. So it is very much an indoor kind of thing. Slack Dan says, sorry to hear about your father's recent passing. I lost my son. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, Dan, I am so sorry. I lost my son a year and a half ago, and I've been paralyzed with grief and depression. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Oh, Dan, I mean, as a father, I'm, I mean, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. That is heartbreaking. And listen, I, I appreciate your kind words about the loss of my dad but it's nothing it's nothing compared to what you're going through and you know i wasn't close to my dad and you know he didn't respond to my request to have honest conversations about anything and i kind of get that now like i was in possession of a hand grenade that could have blown up his remaining shreds of happiness by being honest so but oh dan oh my gosh where, where you are You know, my heart goes out to you. And and again, I appreciate your kind words, but where you are at, my brother, is... I get it. I mean, that is absolutely appalling. Um, And every every parent thinks about this from time to time. You know, gosh, what happens if, you know... Right. Um, First of all, call me. Like, call in. We'll talk. And uh, you're not the only person who's had this kind of loss. And uh, if there's anything I can do to help, I will. What I will say here, though is if you think of an afterlife, right? You think of a portal, right? Your son, your son's soul, your son's spirit, your son's history, your son's essence, your son's personality can kind of peel back the air and poke his little head through and look at you, right? Would he want your loss of him to destroy your life? Would that be what he would want for you. Listen. There's a mother to your son. And, you know, odds are, as, as a man, that we're going to die before our wives do, right? Because wives, women live longer than men, right? So those are the odds, right? Now, think of the mother of your child. I hope that you love her. I hope that you care about her. I mean, I think about the mother of my child. And what do you want from them, after you die, let's say you die earlier, statistically you will, right? So let's say you die earlier. Do you want the rest of your wife's life to be lost and sorrow and grief and grieving and unable to get out of bed and being depressed and so on, right? I wouldn't want that for my wife. I mean... I get that it's going to be very sad for her, but I want her to be happy and that we had our time together and happy that we had a joyful life together and happy that she knew deep and powerful, unquestioning love from me. I want her to celebrate that, but I don't want her to sit and stare at my grave with her face dissolving in tears for the rest of her life, because that would not be to honor the joy that we had created together. So if you can imagine your son poking his head through the edge of the universe and looking at you, I got a feeling, I got a sense that he would say something like, Dad, I'm gone. You're still here. We had a great time together. I was gone too soon, and I'm sorry for that. But you can't follow me into the grave, Dad. You can't follow me into the grave. That's two for the price of one. Don't give death that victory. Don't have him take down two of us rather than one. Remember me. Remember our times together. Be happy we had those times together. But I don't want you to lie here in the grave with me, cold, under the ground, with the worms, and the no sun, and the wet, and the rot, you belong up there, not down here. Maybe you can make a new family. Maybe you can be a new dad. Maybe you can bring that love and that skill and that beauty to a new child or children. But you, the coffin is too small for the two of us, dad. You can't, you can't be here with me. Take me with you in your memories. Remember the great times that we had. But only one of us is buried. Two is too too many. And it certainly is one too many. So, Dad, go go have some fun. Because otherwise you're going to make me feel really guilty. Because I couldn't really control dying. But if you end up with no happiness, no joy, no life, because I died, that makes me really guilty. I feel terrible about that. I feel really guilty about that. Release me from that. Look, if you stop being sad, it's not like you won't remember me anymore. It's not like I'll vanish. I know I'm always going to be with you. I know that I'm going to be always present in your mind. I know that. You're not abandoning me if you have happiness. It's not a betrayal of me if you have happiness. It's a betrayal of my potential that my death has robbed you of your life. I shouldn't be some sort of vampire hanging onto your neck and sucking every piece of plasma joy out of your veins as humanly possible. That's not my legacy. That's not what I want out of this situation. For God's sakes, man, go be free. Remember, with joy and with sadness, I get that. But get up out of the grave and go have a life. And don't give death more than he's taken. He took me. But you're choice that's voluntary don't give him one inch more than he took against our will and that is the best way to mourn me is to stop mourning me and go and live i think he would say something like that i don't know i don't even know how old he was but that's my thought all right well i think we should stop there I really do appreciate that. And again, you know, if there's anything I can do to help, I will I'll be overjoyed to do it. And, um, you know, human to human, father to father, I, I don't know anything about you other than I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All right. Thanks, everyone. Um, a wonderful uh, chat. I really, really do appreciate everyone's support. Um, again, not trying to sell you anything. Please don't Donate. Uh, what, what If you can't afford if you can, great. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. A couple of bucks for the Discord server is probably a good idea. So uh, have yourself a, uh, a great evening. I will hopefully have more of these. I, I liked this chat, really. Uh, it was a lovely time this evening together. I love you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for giving me this immense, immense privilege of bringing philosophy to the world. I love you guys for this opportunity. And thank you so much. Lots of love from here. I'll talk to you guys soon.